Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. I am Kevin. He is Scott. It is Monday afternoon. And, um, well, we got beat by Ohio State. I don't think that's to anybody's gigantic surprise. But we are here to talk about the game. We're here to talk about what it means for the team moving forward and and all of that that you kind of expect from a, a recap podcast. We appreciate everybody for bearing with us here. And it's been a tough season so far, but we do appreciate everybody listening. If you enjoy the podcast, of course, share with your friends, family. We're doing MSU football year round. I should give that message to people because there's a bunch of new listeners since this season started. Um, we go through all the way through the offseason. We don't really, we'll, we'll talk about the basketball, but it's an MSU football podcast. We go year round if you appreciate it and can share it, leave us a review, follow us on Twitter, all that fun stuff. We always appreciate that. But um, Scott, I always want to start off with the recap shows, especially recently, because there's not many positive things to talk about. And I like to kind of start it off positive. Um, And usually that's kind of, it's a college football Saturday and we got the viewing experience. It's always, you know, you find a way to make it enjoyable. So just kind of set up what what the uh, Saturday afternoon looked like for you. Well, I was originally going to sit down for another weekend of watching football all day on Saturday, but um, figured I'd get a little bit of equity into the relationship, and football's not been panning out lately. So I did still, for whatever reason, sit down to watch this whole game. But the most of my day was spent exploring uh, going out to see some fall colors, which were near peak. It was it was nice out there. Hit a uh, hit a brewery beer garden. Um, you know, tried to get some some positives into my Saturday, knowing uh, football probably wasn't going to provide them. You know, so that worked out well. It kept the vibes good going into the game, and you know, this game over others is easy to just kind of set your expectations going in. Right? There's no like. Oh, what if we win anticipation? Like personally, maybe, maybe you're more of a fan than me if you want to put it that way. But, you know, going into this one, I very easily, I was like, listen, this is going to be disappointing. You know what to expect. It's still going to hurt a little bit, but, but you know, right. So you can kind of go in and, um, 
yeah, not not get hurt too bad. And and it worked out. I mean, the game was frustrating, but I wasn't left with like the the total dread of other losses. So yeah, I mean it worked out okay. I was still back in my apartment to watch the game. I don't I didn't want to watch this game in, in public around anyone else. So <laughs> uh yeah, it was uh you know, I watched till the end, wanted to see what my guy Noah Kim looked like, figuring he was going to get some time, which he did. And um, yeah, actually turned off football after the game, too. I, I I, struggle to watch the night games, the later games after a bad MSU game, because it just makes me sit there and stew on on how we looked. So tis the season threw on some Harry Potter. My wife and I Ooh. are working our way back through Harry Potter. So I think we had uh, Harry Potter four on. It's like a bi-yearly thing for us. Too. Yeah, yeah. We usually it, it's either Halloween season or, or Christmas season. I personally, I, I know it's popular around Christmas, uh, but I like to watch it around Halloween, kind of spooky, witches, wizards, etc. So uh, we usually work our way through it when we have some free time, and it, it worked out well actually. After the movie, I came back, watched some late football, um, nightcap. Pack twelve action, and uh, I was I was in a better mood, could enjoy it by then. So, I think overall, having actually sat down to watch the MSU game, I played my cards right to to still come out of Saturday with uh with some positives. Yeah, you, you built in the equity. You've got. I think you covered all your bases there. I think that's a good weekend for you. Um, I so full disclosure, I guess, for the rest of the podcast as well. I did not get nearly the amount of attention on this game as I normally get for MSU games. Obviously, I, I run a podcast for MSU football. Uh, normally, I watch the whole game full focus, full attention with my notepad out, taking notes through the whole game. And then I'll go back and watch it a second time before we record. So my mom is in town. We've been uh, traveling around a bit. We were in Belgium for the weekend and we were watching the first quarter we were streaming it on my phone uh the got it back on the hotel room on my laptop by the second quarter and by then i was a handful of beers deep and you know it's the strong belgian beers like i think the the weakest beer i had the whole weekend was like six and a half percent we were routinely going through the eight, nine, 10% beers, which sneak up on you real quick. So um, I, I haven't gotten nearly the the focus. I will, I, I'll, I'll make sure to sit down and really dig into it a bit more before we do the preview for Wisconsin. Cause I want to kind of find some takeaways before we head into next week's game, but it was, it was a different experience for me, um, but that was kind of good. Because again, we were kind of talking about this earlier. Like you just you set the expectations for the Ohio State game. You know what we're gonna see. We talked about it on the Picks podcast. I'm pretty sure. Like I'm not gonna bet Ohio State because it. I just feel dirty betting against my team, even if I know it's the right pick. I'll do it against the Lions sometimes, and I just feel kind of grimy. I, and I just can't do it against Michigan State because I'm I'm such a fan. And I can't really separate that. I'll bet on Michigan State when I believe it's justified, but I really can't find myself to bet against them. And this was just one of those games where I saw 25 and a half, 26, 27. And we said it on the Picks podcast. Like it's free money for whoever wants it. If you want to bet on Ohio State, it's free money. 
I just couldn't do it. So we all knew what was going to happen. And basically exactly what we thought was going to happen happened. And so (laughs) for me, it was like, hey, I've had quite a few beers tonight. I'm having a good time. We're in Belgium. I've never been here before. It's, you know, hey, it is what it is. We got crushed. Cool. Um, so for me, all in all, it, it was a good weekend. It was a good Saturday, even with all of this considered. And we'll get more into the uh, into the game and into the podcast. But it was just kind of one of those, like, I don't really have too many grand takeaways. And maybe when I sit down and really focus on it a bit more, I will. But it it just was one of those where the most simple of simple football casual fans could have told you exactly what was going to happen before the game and their recap to this game would sound a lot like the experts recap you know just with a lot less detail it was well every time we made a mistake ohio state took advantage and then some and ohio state threw the ball all over the yard and their athletes were bigger faster stronger and there was just really nothing we could do to even slow them down, let alone stop them. And there's so many ways that you can say that, but that's just kind of what it was. And it was kind of what we all expected. So I don't know for me again, the last few weeks, it's been a lot more kind of doom and gloom. Like, man, we got crushed against teams that we, this was one where it was more like, well, again, we, we talked about it last week, really, we have fully reset our expectations for this team and for this season. And so losing to Ohio state, it's just kind of what we expected. Now, if we, if we come out and get crushed by Rutgers, like that's still within the realm of like, I will be very pissed because that shouldn't be happening, but getting crushed by Ohio state, that's just kind of par for the course this season, getting crushed by Penn state at the end of the year, all right, yeah, Penn State's really good, and we're not. If that happens, I, I think the one game that we will be pretty heavy underdogs that could still hurt me is Michigan for obvious reasons. But other than that, I mean, we're a touchdown underdog right now against Wisconsin. If they beat us by a couple scores, like, eh, all right, I don't love it, but I'm not going to get too bent out of shape about it because I've reset my expectations for this team. So. We'll talk about it more moving forward, but it's just kind of what we expected on Saturday. Yeah, so if we want to dive into it a little bit, um, I didn't crunch too much film. I watched a lot of the first quarter again. Um, Beyond that, I mean, you start to get into the mentality aspect of the game, and then it's kind of hard to draw conclusions on how (laughs) we're playing. For everybody on the back, Scott spent the last like half hour just sending me screen grabs with like different colored circles around around different players depending on whether it was an Ohio State picture and it was like guess who he threw to on this play or guess where the running back which hole the running back chose on this play or Peyton Thorne with a couple open receivers like guess who he threw to (laughs) so I I as much as it's like well um you know i, I don't want to get too upset about it i will tell the people that uh scott did get a little upset in the screen grabs today well <laughs> yeah so i want to save a little time for the offense because i think 
as this season has gone on, that's been the more disappointing side of the ball, um, given sure. what our expectations were. Uh, but let's start with the defense because it's a hot button topic, right? There's plenty of folks calling for Scotty Hazleton's head and I'm not here to say the man has done a good job and I'm not here to say the man should continue to be our defensive coordinator, but I, I didn't want to make just a blanket conclusion statement on like, Oh, Scotty Hazleton's the problem. Like I was watching our defense and each play, I tried to take it, like break it down by the play, break it down by the assignment. And like what we give up a 15 yard run, like why? Right. What's the reason? Did they just block it that well or did somebody? And I'll start with the injuries. Right. So we're down four to five starters um, for this game. We were we were down um, Bogle, Slade, Snow, Henderson. And there's a couple depth guys that have been Petrovsky. Thank you, Um, though. Bogle is Petrovsky's backup. So you're down like four and a half, four starters plus another guy that should be starting because of an injury. So four and a half starters. And people are like, it's not, it's not just injuries. Like that's, you can't chalk it up to in. Listen, it is not all injuries, but when you watch the replacements, they're consistently making mistakes that you wouldn't expect the starters to make. Now, not every play that we allowed large gains by Ohio State was due to a mistake. Sometimes, and this is what you'd expect in a game against Ohio State, they just have the horses. I mean, you look at Ohio State's first touchdown catch, Marvin Harrison against um, Chuck Brantley. Chuck played great defense. He was right there in man-to-man. He was right on the guy's hip. He got his hand in the honey pot. He tried to rip the ball out, and the other guy just got two hands on it and out muscled him. It was, it was good defense. It's just that right now, Chuck Brantley hasn't developed enough to be in, to have the advantage in that matchup. And right. we're, we're playing State, first round, first round players across the board. Right. With Ohio state's talent, you expect not just a few, you expect some handful, maybe even plenty of those plays to happen. Then you have the missed assignments, the mistakes, and there was no shortage of those. And what's interesting, if you look at the tape, if you take the plays out where we clearly missed an assignment and you just look at, okay, everybody did their job and it was mano a mano and they just, it was us versus them. Who, who is the better player? Who makes the plays? They didn't get too many big plays off of when our defense did everything right. They didn't, they got them. They were there, but you don't see a 49 to 20 game if that's always the case. And you look back at the D'Antonio days and the days when we were winning big games and upsets with subpar talent compared to our competition. They were so disciplined in those games that they made you earn every inch. And sometimes, yeah, they were talented enough to get those inches. And that's why most years they still won those games. But when you play, and you just do not screw up assignments and you do your job, it's really, it's still hard to move the ball down the field and it keeps you in games and it gives you and a for, chance when a couple things fall your way, you have a chance for that upset. 
And for as much as we look back on those teams, you know, fondly, how many NFL players did we really have? I mean, obviously, Denard and Waynes, they're still both in the league. Lee Calhoun's still in the league. Monte Nicholson, he's still floating around the league somewhere. Uh, Malik McDowell would be William Golston, right? But there was a bunch of, and Golston was even, you know, kind of in the early phase of that that didn't yeah. really cross paths with those guys. Like on any given year, we had two to three like legitimate NFL players. But even, even in that, I mean, I don't think any of those guys have made a Pro Bowl. Like we're not talking elite level talent, we're talking talented players who were coached up so well that the whole system fit together and these talented players worked off of each other and it, it all worked. But again, I mean, we're not talking those great Alabama defenses. We're not talking about superior elite talent. We're just talking about the difference in coaching. And yeah. clearly that's not there right now. And it, like yeah, we, was- we were just trying to make an analogy earlier and, I was thinking about a a slightly better one. Maybe it's like if you are the owner of a restaurant and you, you were the chef, you come up with all the recipes and for whatever reason, people keep complaining about the food that just doesn't taste very good. So you hire some of the better chefs in the area, not the best chefs in the country, but among that group, they're all very well trained. They're all very well respected in their, craft you hire some really good chefs not not the best chefs in the world but really good chefs and still the food sucks it's like at a certain point you gotta kind of look at the recipe and just say maybe there's something maybe i'm just telling them to add way too much salt maybe there's just not enough flavor in here whatever the case may be at some point the system that you're putting in place is flawed and Maybe again, it's not inherently flawed people. I I would just, I would truly love for me or for anybody who's complaining about the scheme. It's always just the scheme, the scheme, the scheme, (laughs) the scheme. I would love for people to just sit down in a film room with a Scotty Hazleton and with Mel Tucker and watch not even Michigan state football, just watch and like turn on fill in the blank NFL game. And for Scotty Hazelton or Mel Tucker to look at Ted in Grand Rapids and just being like, all right, Ted, what do you see here? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it is so funny to me. And I, I'm guilty of the same thing. And we all just complain, the scheme, the scheme is bad. And it's like, well, do you even know what the scheme is? <laughs> right? Like, it, it's not an inherently bad scheme. No. It's just being coached in a way that's not, correct i don't like i don't know how else to say it it's just not being coached correctly because the scheme isn't inherently bad it's just not being coached in a way that is putting these players in the right position to execute snap in and snap out you know what um it looked like to me i watched if you want to if you want to understand where we're coming from just and you have the tolerance for it just go back and watch ohio state's first offensive drive. I'm not asking for any more than that. Just their first offensive drive. First point early in the season, everyone was like, Scotty Hazleton's not, they're not changing anything. They're just running the same thing and expecting new results. They're running their cover three zone and it's not working. Blah, 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 blah. 
in Ohio State's first drive, a majority of the play calls on defense were cover to man, which Kirk Herbstreet said something about on the broadcast that the fact that we're trying to play man against this offense is already kind of insane <laughs> because it's just like our athletes against theirs. And I don't think it takes a football genius to understand who has the athletic advantage in this matchup. But first, the, the one thing that drives me nuts when we get, this has been consistent for like three games now, since we started to, to play more man because zone wasn't working, we'll play press man. And I don't really know what Amir Speed's doing because he's not usually on the screen. And I'm not going to turn this into a broadcast gripe. We all know how I hate, we hate the broadcast angles because you can't see half the players on the field. But Chuck Brantley, because he plays boundary side, is usually on the screen. And I'll preface this by saying I think Chuck plays harder than anyone on the team. And for that reason, even though he gets beat a lot, he's one of my favorite players on this team. Um, but when you look at technique, he almost never puts his hands on the receiver at the snap, which in press man is almost an obligation. It's a death sentence. He, he sits there two yards off the line, and he stands flat-footed until the receiver's even with him. Then he flips his hips and runs, and he never touches him. And it's just like, I'm, I'm not a football genius. I know the first thing you need to do in press man is get your hands on the receiver. Well, the, I mean, it's the whole point, right? <laughs> like, you throw it's the only the reason of you're the there. Yeah. You get them I, off I mean, their route. You push them outside, you jam them, you get the timing of the quarterback and the receiver off and you get yourself in a position to stay in phase with them for the whole play. And Chuck Brantley, he has arms. He's not incapable of making contact with the receiver. So why has nobody taught him when the ball is snapped, punch that guy in the face right and again at which point uh, i shouldn't say again because we has, this hasn't really been brought up but that is something that if i'm gonna defend scotty hazelton which i'm trust me i'm not here to do scotty hazelton's not coaching these corners every day i'll i'll tell you who is and he's making a whole lot more money than scotty hazelton and this is something we've talked about a couple times now is that Mel Tucker is very hands-on with the corners right now. He made that decision in the off season. It was public. He was vocal about it. And I just, I really don't understand what their, the philosophy here that he is teaching to these corners is very just upsetting and strange because we talked about at the beginning of the season, even to the, like to the point of why aren't these guys playing more aggressive? Why aren't they going for balls? Why is it always that even on a good, it seems like a positive play for Michigan State in the past defense is giving up a six yard gain and tackling them. And it's like, okay, that that's a good consolation prize but that shouldn't be viewed as like the objective. And it almost seems like Mel Tucker is preaching that as the objective. And I get it. You don't want to get beat over the top with big plays, but when you're getting beat over the top with big plays anyway, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, I, I, and, and this again, it's, this is top down. This isn't a Scotty Hazleton issue. This is a Mel Tucker thing. And maybe we need to, 
again, I, I, I've said it many times now. I'm not hiding it. We need to fire Scotty Hazelton. But maybe we need to also be hiring somebody who's going to be a lot more hands-on with the corners and kind of take Mel Tucker out of that because I, I just don't understand the philosophy there. And as a defensive-minded head coach, you worry about that he's always going to be hands-on with the defense and it's always going to be something that's within his vision. And if if something like this, obviously giving up 49 points and 600 yards of offense and the opposing quarterback throwing for 80% and 360 yards and six touchdowns, that's not part of the vision. But again, it's just it's the idea that a six-yard gain and a tackle is a that's like the goal. That's a really positive play. Good job, corner. And it's, again, that should be the consolation prize. That should be, all right, well, if we do give up the catch, make sure you're in front of them and square up, make the tackle. But that should be still a play where you go back on film and say, all right, Chuck, hey, what's go? You got to get your hands on him. And then you disrupt this route. And then this throw isn't even available rather than, hey, Chuck, good job staying behind him, staying in front, not not letting him behind you and and making the tackle. It just seems like, you know, again, I would love to be a fly on the wall in some of these film sessions to see on some of these plays where we do give up like a a little out route or a slant or a hitch for that seven yard gain. And then, you know, hey, if he breaks the tackle, if he doesn't. But I, I would just love to see how that's being taught, because it just seems like when you watch it and then when you hear the press conference stuff after the game that that is almost what's being coached. And it's just very strange to me. I, I really can't wrap my head around it. Yeah. What's what's startling, I don't have too much more to say about the defense because honestly, I do think injuries play a role. Experience, with experience comes discipline, and we're lacking a lot of experience right now. But what's startling to me on the defensive side is that the mistakes are so diverse. Sometimes it's strange technique no. I, I can't necessarily call it bad technique because i mean it's not effective but i don't i don't i'm not a technique expert at every position but strange inexplicable to me technique or blown assignments or we're just getting out muscled out athleted um sometimes it's a mismatch sometimes it's a blown coverage sometimes it's bad technique it's Everything seems like it, it, it sometimes is a weakness, and that's really scary because it means we're not really doing anything well consistently. And at that point, like, I, I, I want to hear the, the pleas of like from the coaching staff that, hey, the discipline's bad, or that, hey, we don't have the horses, or that, hey, injuries. But when it's every facet of defense that's failing, sometimes, I mean, right. I mean, it. <laughs> It's Ohio State, we know. And again, this is part of the thing where like, I'm not trying to get too bent out of shape about it because we all knew what was going to happen. But even Ohio State, look, we th- they threw the, the pick six. That was a gimme. You know, I, we said if, 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 he, if C.J. Stroud throws that same ball and they have that same miscommunication with the wide receiver against Toledo... Toledo is picking that off and housing it. There was just, that was a gimme. And if you look at the drive chart, other than that, it's touchdown and then the interception and then touchdown, 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 touchdown. 
Like I know it's Ohio State, but that and shouldn't then they pulled happen. their starters. That was that was their entire drive chart with their starters in the game. It can't happen even against the best teams. Now and in previous just... episodes we've talked about like what did our defense get for itself, right? And I think against Washington in the first half it was like one yard, right? We had our four, <laughs> we had our stand on the one yard line. This game we had that one interception, which was which was luck. I mean, Chuck Brantley didn't make an exceptional play. He just kept his eyes on the quarterback and caught the ball. Credit to him for making the play. Sometimes even the easiest plays are the hardest ones to make. 100%. Good job, Chuck Brantley. Plus play. Great play. Awesome. But, again, he didn't go out and make some one-handed catch after good coverage, you know. So, yeah. I mean, the defense, there's not much. Yeah, we forced – three punts we didn't give up any any points at the end of the game against their backups feather in the cap nice uh but when you look at starters on starters we had the one interception and other than that they scored every drive a touchdown every drive not just scored um so i mean i feel like we're kind of (laughs) like beating a dead horse with the defense, right? Everyone in MSU land has talked about the defense all season it looked bad again everything's bad Sometimes uh, it's all kinds of different problems. It seems unfixable, and I think it might be a Mel Tucker problem because he's a defensive guy and the secondary's bad, and he's a DB and everything. But like, sorry, Scotty, like at a certain point, you need your scapegoat, and and he he's he's probably going to be it. I, yeah. At this point, I expect he'll be let go at the end of the year. I mean, I, I don't think they're going to make a midseason change unless things get like way worse, which it's hard to imagine they will. I don't know how much. <laughs> <laughs> if if they don't make a change this offseason, I'll be surprised. Um, I, I would think- I would truly be shocked. There's I, no way you can. I can't even fathom it, dude. I can't even begin to wrap my head around Scotty Hazelton saving his job going into 2023. The I, only I way I see that happening is if Mel Tucker honestly understands that this is his defense and Scotty Hazelton's implementing it, and he doesn't want to take Scotty Hazelton down as his scapegoat because it's his problem. But, but then at that point, Mel Tucker should just step down. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's a much, yeah. I mean, you got to kind of go to Scotty and be like, hey, man, this is why you got to buy out. I'm sorry. Like, I tried to do it at the end of the year. So it's a good time to move things around and I'll write you a letter of recommendation because right. like, I know it's me, but like as long as Mel Tucker keeps his job, something's got to happen. So and I just, I know from listening to enough of Mel Tucker speak, he is a very self-aware, reflective, thoughtful, pensive person. There's no way he can go through an entire off season. Like once this is, you know, you're in the middle of the chaos of the season. But once the season ends, and I know recruiting, it's it's a never really, you don't really ever have a break. Once you kind of have a break from the chaos of the week to week grind of the season, and you kind of reflect on what happened and the the position that you're in as the head coach and the contract that you have and the, the program that you're coaching with and the peers that you are comparing yourself to, if you want to be the national championship contender that you say you will, there's just no way that you can gather all of that and sit down and think on it and justify it, keeping his job. There's just no way. So it's, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time, but 
I mean, you know, we'll get to the offense in a second here. And and like I said in in the preview, we'll start looking at Wisconsin. I know we opened on DraftKings as a seven-point underdog, which is interesting. It's a, it's another home game, which I guess is nice for Michigan State. Hopefully we can get off the schneid here. And if you you like that MSU seven-point underdog, you can head over to DraftKings. They're an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And if you bet uh, new, if you're a new customer, you can bet just five dollars on any NFL team to win and get two hundred dollars in free bets if they do. You can check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. You can look at Monday Night Football is still on. Maybe by the time we post this, and uh, to make things even sweeter, you can throw it on on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TPPN for the Pigskin Podcast Network, of which we're a proud member, to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TPPN, only a DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So the offense... You you kind of teed it up at the beginning and saying, you know, given the expectation level, this is arguably even a more disappointing side of the ball right now. I mean, before the starters come in, you have one touchdown. And again, it's Ohio State. They got all the talent. And the defense is a hell of a lot better than it was last year. But you go back through the schedule, they haven't played a gauntlet. Um, Toledo scored 21 points. Wisconsin got beat to hell against Ohio State. They scored 21 points. Rutgers scores 10. I mean, to get to the point where your offense has put seven points on the board, well, six points on the board, maybe we'll get to that before garbage time and the backups are all in it's just not what we expected that that's the part that's frustrating is i mean you have Jaden reed back so again we talked about the defense injuries can be a little bit of excuse you don't even really have the excuse of injuries on offense pretty much the whole offense is healthy (laughs) your offensive line healthy your quarterback healthy your running backs a little banged up but generally healthy your your number one target at wide receiver he's healthy i mean he looked he looked like Jaden reed it, it didn't really look like the hampered version that we got um previously so what's going on one more point of context on the score obviously we had our pick six early in the game but the one touchdown our starters got 76 yard play in seven plays 76-yard drive in seven plays. Sounds good at at face value. Two drive continuing personal fouls by Ohio State. One of them, we it was second and 15. We got a one-yard loss. It would have been third and 16, and we got a 15-yard penalty and an automatic first down. The second one was third and seven. We got sacked, and we got a lucky illegal use of hands. That gave us a first down, and then we got our touchdown, and there were a couple of good plays in that drive. I don't want to take everything away from the offense, but again, we took advantage of Ohio State mistakes to get those points on the board. We really didn't earn anything on our own in this game. Um, it's that, six three and outs. Yeah, six. Um, it was bad, and 
there's an enormous lack of confidence across this football team. And I don't think it manifests as visibly anywhere as it does with Peyton Thorne. Yeah. Peyton Thorne. I, are there is, can I just quickly, cause on the confidence thing, I think there are two players on the entire football team, maybe not named Bryce Berenger. There are two players on the entire football team playing confident and competent football. And they are Elijah Collins and Jaden Reed. Am I wrong? Confident and competent. The combo, I think there are two players on the whole team. And it's those yeah, two. And competent. Yeah. I was gonna Chuck Brantley looks confident. He plays confident. <laughs> and he he generally plays well, but he just uh, he's young and anyway. Yeah, I think confident and competent. Uh I it's it's hard for me to dredge up any other players that maybe Kendall Brooks. Yeah, okay. You could make an argument for him. But yeah, I mean it's beyond that. Trey Mosley's a quiet guy, but it like I don't think Jane or I don't think Peyton Thorne, I'm gonna get to this in a minute. I don't think he looks for him enough. Yeah. But when given the opportunity, the one thing um, Trey Mosley really can't make anybody miss in the open field. Like he goes down with like a stiff breeze. Um, he gets all his yards before the catch, but given that that's kind of what's expected of him and that's his role, he, he's been doing it well. Yeah. So I, I mean, I just kind of brought that up to say Peyton Thorne is not playing confident and I know you'll get into that a bit more, but there are a couple of guys who are and Jaden Reed, you know, we're force feeding him on, on offense. I think that's more of a Peyton Thorne problem than a Jay Johnson problem. And the, the Jay Johnson problem is I think you have one confident and competent running back at the moment and you're not giving him the ball. I think Eli Collins for two straight weeks now has been very obviously the best running back on the team. And you highlighted this on Twitter, but I don't, I don't, I, I don't understand why he's not getting the ball more. It seems like every time he touches the ball, things are kind of moving the right direction. You know what I mean? Like we give him the ball, a nice little five yard carry, a nice little seven yard carry. We're, we're ahead of the sticks. We're suddenly playing from second and three. And it's just kind of like, okay, all right, well, hey, let's see what this drive looks like. But then when the other backs are in there, you, you don't get that. And so, you know, this is just kind of my call to get Eli Collins the ball more. But <laughs> Well, on the defensive side, I talked about how we're missing a lot of experience. And with experience comes discipline. And the running game, just like kind of gap integrity and run defense, running offense is all about discipline following the play the way that it's meant to be blocked, letting the play develop. And when you have to, sure, you can make a cutback or try to kind of improvise. Kenneth Walker obviously was was the best of anyone I've probably ever seen at improvising in the run game. But the the killer bees, as they were at some point referred to, um, they love to cut back. They love to try to improvise, but they're just not that good at it. Um, <laughs> and Eli Collins... For better or for worse, he does what the play asks of him, and he's the only running back that does more than what the play around him gives him. So the other guys, they, they will get, if the play gets them zero yards, three yards, or six yards, they'll get those yards. 
but beyond that, there's no plus to their game. They're not they're not doing more than what you would expect just by giving any average run of the mill running back the ball and and telling him to go forward. Eli Collins will get you an extra yard, an extra three yards, an extra five yards, just with effort. And it's not cutbacks. It's not extraordinary vision. It's just power, strength, and doing the little bit of extra. And what's bizarre to me, that's usually what gets the coach's attention, right? Playing that extra 10%, playing at 110%, it's what gets you on the field more. And when you talk about rep charts and whatever with how Mel Tucker and his staff supposedly um, evaluate players, like I don't care what you see in practice once the season starts. At the end of the day, game reps have to be like 90% of the equation. 100%, yeah. I mean, that's, that's that seems to be why Chuck Brantley keeps getting on the field because he plays really hard and you know he's a pretty good talent and so eli collins who also is playing really hard and is pretty talented why isn't he getting that same treatment right i mean i get it like if you if you did like madden ratings for the top three backs eli collins would be like pretty good or even better than those two guys in a couple ratings but the rest of it like across the board he may not measure up athleticism or vision or cutback ability or whatever. But at the end of the day, if he's the one getting on the field, getting extra yards, that's who you got to give the ball to. It's it's Gerald Holmes, right? right? Gerald Holmes was never the sexy running back. It was never the, oh man, you know, did you see that electric play by Gerald Holmes? It was a, it was a six yards and a cloud of dust, but it was a six yards and a cloud of dust, not negative two and then five and then negative one and then one and then the line of scrimmage and then negative one and then five. It just kind of, you love having that guy who you know is going to get four yards. And that just seems to be the case right now. And and one thing I want to talk about, because I, I kind of put this out on Facebook and Scott L. Brown, you know, I was asking for like reasons for optimism. One thing Scott Brown, who's who's been on the podcast, friend of the pod, he mentioned like, hey, Jaden Reed looks like he's back to 100%. And it kind of got me thinking about last year where we had Kenneth Walker and you had the constant threat of the run game exploding for something that defenses had to account for. And you had Jaden Reed on the outside and you had that constant threat that defenses had to kind of shade an extra guy, the safety over the top to make sure you don't get burned by him. And it just made it really, really difficult for any defensive coordinator on any given play to try to confidently defend because you knew that one or the other was going to be given a little bit less attention and therefore you were susceptible somewhere. And I'm not saying Eli Collins is like the threat that Kenneth Walker is, but it's in a different way where if, 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 if Eli Collins is constantly getting five yards of carry, that's something that the defensive coordinator has to account for because if Jay Johnson is willing, he can just keep feeding the rock, feeding the rock, feeding the rock. And then all of a sudden you've taken 30 minutes of possession. You've put some points on the board. You have put your defense on the field for a long time, which you don't want to do. 
And so you have to account for that. You have to account to stop the rushing game. If Eli Collins is constantly getting five yards of carry and we keep giving him the ball, but then you still have Jaden Reed who now looks healthy as that threat to pop a 40, 50, 60 yard play. And then all of a sudden it just makes a defensive coordinator's job harder. And whether that means we're going to end up scoring a bunch more points or that Peyton Thorne is going to suddenly play better. It doesn't necessarily mean any of those things are going to happen, but it makes it at least makes a defensive coordinator and a defense think. And it just seems like right now they don't even really have to think. They just kind of do whatever they want. And so, I don't know, give the ball more to Keely Collins. That's, again, end, end of discussion for me. What's Yeah, I'll wrap it up with this thought. I'm going to focus on the first quarter because, again, I think in a game like this, it's really the only time worth really drawing anything from. Um, first drive, we ran the ball twice, both with Jalen Berger, both on first and 10. One yard and three yards. All right, whatever. Second drive, pass, 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 three and out. Not worth talking about in context of the running game. Third drive, two rushes. And the first one was Jalen Berger for negative five yards on first and 10. The second one was third and four. And we decided to run the ball. Could be a total headache, right? We've complained about that before with how our running game has performed. But it was to Eli Collins, and he got us five yards. And he ran through two tacklers and fell forward for the extra three yards. Like, it was not, it was not, a, it was, it was not a conversion with the way the play was blocked. And he fought and got us a first down. And then we pass 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 and hunted the <laughs> ball but that's beside the point so at this point right Jalen Berger's got five touches and he's averaging maybe one yard a carry Eli Collins comes in and converts on a third and four against this defense where contact was made prior to the chains that's exactly the type of thing a coach would want to see on film to say all right this circle him he's getting more carries Eli he Collins is, gets it, one more carry in the game he is like he is breaking every coaching myth that has ever existed, right? If you play hard for me, I'll get you on the field. If you are loyal to the program, we'll get you on the field. If you fill in the blank, you know what I mean? It's just like it seems like from the outside in that Eli Collins is doing every single thing that a coach would typically ask of their players when they come in, you know, the the first day of camp and they give that kind of opening speech of if you do this for me, I promise, you know, we'll 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 do this for you. And it just seems like Eli Collins is doing all the things that was asked of him and they're just not fulfilling their end of the bargain because he deserves that and it's just it is frustrating and I I do think that there is still potential on the offense, and that's what's really frustrating because the defense right now, with the personnel that we have available with the injuries, with what we kind of just know is a flawed system in the way that it's being coached and the way that it's being played, you know, I just, I don't really see the potential on defense. You know, we're not all of a sudden going to turn it around and be a top 50 defense. That's, that's just not in the cards anymore. But if we look back three weeks from now and we've rattled off three straight games where we score 28 points, would you be shocked? Because 
the the talent's there. We know that Peyton Thorne can play better. We know that the running game can be more productive. We know he has good receivers around him. We know the offensive line isn't among the worst in the country in the bottom 10. It's not a good good group, but I, I think at times they've proven to be good enough. And so if you, if we look back five weeks from now and all of a sudden our offense has kind of exploded a little bit and we're putting some points on the board, we've scored 30 a couple times, like that wouldn't really be a shock to anybody because we all know the talent's there and that's what's the frustrating part about it. We know the pieces can be there to be a productive offense. That, that part still exists. It's just so, not coming together. As we look back at the Ohio State game specifically, um, the offensive line didn't control the line of scrimmage. And I'm not surprised Ohio state's defensive line is almost as good as any of their other position groups. They've got future pros all over. It was a struggle, but this offensive line in general has been, has not been a plus group all season. Um, But I agree. We have the weapons that against average competition, we should at least look competent. We shouldn't be seeing what we're seeing here. The last conversation with the offense about this game that we've been saving is, is at quarterback. And I know quarterback gets a ton of attention for better or for worse or rightfully or not rightfully. Peyton Thorne clearly is playing with almost no confidence. And it was no more visible than in the middle of this game before he came out. His last drive, he got sacked twice, the last, second and third down, both sacks. And by the end of this game, Peyton Thorne was maybe getting through one read and then basically just like curling up in a vertical fetal position and waiting for guys to hit him. <laughs> I mean, it was it was it was sad to see. It was honestly, it, was, it really was sad. It was like he was just expecting whether a rush was coming or not. He was just expecting. He was like, "Well, it's been a second, so I'm about to get hit." And he would just kind of curl up around the ball. And literally, there was one play where he just stood there for like two seconds, curled up over the ball, and eyes down at the field, like down at his feet, waiting to get hit. It was like when did. you're playing driveway basketball with your older brother. And he's he's blocked your last eight shots, you know, and you just you know he's gonna block this. So you're you're just kind of like shyly, hesitantly, kind of throwing it up over your shoulder a little bit, and you're just not even really trying anymore because you know he's gonna block your shot again. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. all right, guys, when are you gonna come sack me? Let me just kind of put myself in a position that this doesn't really hurt that bad. So here's the the challenge with where we're at with this team or with with Peyton Thorne, I should say. He he we know he's better than what we're seeing. We know he can be, I should say. But he has no confidence. And coming into this game, even in the first quarter before the scoreline was bad, before he'd been sacked a few times, before things fell apart, you watch again, watch Michigan State's first couple drives. If you just watch the first quarter, you'll get the whole story for this game Peyton Thorne first drive right interception which looked eerily similar to the interception he threw against Michigan on the first drive last year that play we had a flood with two receivers both running to the right Trey Mosley was about five to ten yards past the sticks and I think it was Jarek Broussard but someone was running down the flat on the same side and he was about three yards behind the sticks but if he throw the ball, he had outside leverage, could have either leaned forward or made a guy miss for the first down. 
both throws were there. He could have made a, he could have with a good throw completed a pass and given his receivers a chance to have a first down. Instead, he throws it to Jaden Reed, who was blanketed in triple coverage, and it was an interception. And that was not the only time in this game, far from it, that he bailed on a good read and just found Jaden Reed wherever he was and threw it at him. And sometimes it worked. Sometimes Jaden Reed was in one-on-one, and he is a plus athlete, and he's one of the only guys against Ohio State where when you get a one-on-one, he may actually have an athletic advantage, and it worked out sometimes. But this is happening now a lot where Peyton Thorne, he's, he's just, you can clearly see he has no confidence. He's going back to his safety blanket, which is Jaden Reed, who he's been playing with since he, you know, he was in the womb or whatever. And it's not, it's not effective anymore. It's, it's becoming a premature safety valve for him that he's trying to lean on because he's uncomfortable and he's bailing on the way that, that the game's playing. So the last conversation we're going to have here, Kevin, my guy, Noah Kim, usually I say it, jokingly but i think the time has come for a legitimate conversation like if you are jay johnson and mel tucker at what point even though in a vacuum noah kim's probably not as good a quarterback at what point do you say all right we don't know what to do to turn peyton thorn around the best chance we have to win this game is to make a change do you think we're close to that yet i will say because even this kind of snuck up on me a little bit. I was checking it out today, and we'll make this quick because I got a I got a jet here. Full disclosure: my laptop is not being charged right now actively, and the last thing I want to do is lose all of this. So, uh, we'll try to try to wrap this up quick. So, people might be surprised to hear this, and and it's kind of one of those things where Noah Kim. It's like every time he's come in, he's looked good. He's looked in control, and. Sometimes it hasn't been the most, um, what's the word I'm looking high leverage of situations, but he has come in in situations that are still meaningful to the result of a football game and against good defenses. And as of right now, Noah Kim is 14 for 19. That's 74%, 174 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. And that's a really good line, man. And I know it's a small sample size. And again, it's it's a delicate balance because we we just talked about Peyton Thorne's playing with no confidence. Well, what's the best way to get your quarterback more confident by benching him? You know what I mean? Like that doesn't seem logical to me, but I don't know, man. At a certain point, you got to he just Noah Kim looks a bit more comfortable taking what the defense is giving him. I know it's kind of a buzz phrase for quarterback play, but it does seem like he looks to his first read, and if it's there, he throws the ball. There's no hesitation. Looks to his first read. If it's not there, looks to his second read. If it's there, he throws the ball. No hesitation. And he throws a nice ball, throws a tight spiral, throws a catchable ball. Um... I don't know, man. I I laughed it off every time that you have talked about this, but I'm starting to come around to the idea that if this doesn't get fixed soon, we got a bye week coming up, and there's no better time to break in a new quarterback than a bye week and give them, you know, more time to be in command of the huddle in practice and kind of get some of those um experiences and i i don't know man i don't know 
this is a good transition to the Wisconsin preview that'll come out later this week. Um, right now, just to kind of recap, we're two and four. We've got two losses in our back pocket to, to keep a bowl game on the table, right? Um, if you lose to Wisconsin, I, I think, I, I, I honestly, I don't think you'd say it to him, but I think when it comes to Peyton Thorne, you're like, beat Wisconsin or we got to have a conversation. Yeah. Um, the other thing is obviously coming out of the bye week, you're going into the big house and benching one of your leaders of your team may not be a good idea, no matter what the circumstances are. You don't want to give the first start to the kid at the big house, (laughs) like in the biggest rivalry in the city, like not ideal. Oh, and two, the next two games and Peyton Thorne continues to look bad. That's when you have the conversation after the Michigan game. I think this is his team at least until that game, depending on how these results look. Listen, it wasn't going to get any better against Ohio State, right? That's the caveat. The bowl game is probably off the table because you got Penn State sitting at the end of the year. So once that bowl game kind of fades from view, fades from the horizon, that's when it's like, all right, the rest of the year is a wash and we're just planning for the future. And that's when everything comes back on the table. All, you know, you're not writing anything off. Everyone's got a chance to get on the field. You're you're just building for next season. So uh, we'll revisit this in the next few episodes, yeah, that, Kevin. But to be continued know. on that, to be yep. continued for sure. So let's quick hitters. Uh, player of the game, and we need a game or play of the game, and we need a game ball. Uh, you can start wherever you would like. There. All right, I can't give him the player of the game because he did struggle a lot of the game, but I'm going to give him the game ball. I'll give it to Chuck Brantley for his interception. Again, it was kind of a gimme, but I thought he played really hard, and I want to reward him for that. So I'm giving the play of the game. Chuck Brantley picks six. Okay, uh, play of the game. You know, I'll go I'll go with the nice, that, that Noah Kim to Montori Foster touchdown at the end of the game. It was a, a nice route to get open to separate himself by Foster to find that kind of sweet spot between the before the safety came over the top. Great throw by Noah Kim. And it's garbage time. It's quote unquote meaningless, but it's just another nice play by Noah Kim. Uh, another nice touchdown throw by him. Thought that was a great play. Game ball. Um, you know what? I'll I'll go with Jaden Reed. You kind of mentioned it like he was kind of the only one out there who was able to win on a win a one-on-one and he won a couple of them. You know, he had that nice uh, down the left sideline, not quite to the sideline, that jump ball. And he just, he looked physically athletically like he was kind of back to his old self. So we'll see how that can help us out moving forward. It obviously wasn't ever going to help us out in the final score on Saturday, but it, it was really good to see him out there healthy. Uh, he looked good. Four for 67 and a touchdown. It's it's not the most eye-popping line in the world, especially for Jaden Reed, but it I think it was a display to show like he's back. Yeah, I was thinking about Jaden Reed. Um, I'm going to go with the only guy who did what he should at a high level every play he was given the opportunity to, and that's our guy Bryce Berenger. Um, it's another tough year to win the Ray guy, but I think he's right in the running. Seven punts for 342 yards, averaging 49 yards a punt, with five so downed inside the 20-yard line, a 59-yard long. His first punt was a 57-yard punt into the strong wind last week uh, or this past weekend in Spartan Stadium. 
I mean, the dude's got a, a leg of gold, so it's not be fun necessarily a good thing when your punter's winning player of the game. But I think, I mean, if you look at what each player did versus what each player was asked to do, I think nobody did it better than, than Bryce Berenger this weekend. All right, so with that, we'll get out of here. We'll look forward to the uh, preview of the Wisconsin game just as an early heads up um, there. You know, we've had some scheduling issues come in the last few episodes. There might be a little delayed. This might be a Thursday rather than a Wednesday, but regardless, obviously we will get it out to you. That's the promise uh, before the game more likely on Thursday, to be honest, but um, yeah, Ohio state is now in the rear view mirror. I think that's that's kind of a nice thing to be just like, all right, that's that's done. It's over with. We're not going to have to play them again. So at least we have that to look forward to until we preview the Wisconsin game. Hope everybody has a great start to the week here, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Go green. Go white. Take care, folks.